Welcome to the most energetic, positive, happy, and healthy podcast in the world. Living the dream. Dream stands for diet, rest, exercise, attitude, and meaning. I'm your host, certified health coach, motivational speaker, sober since July of 2016, American Ninja Warrior competitor, two-time world record holder, and ultra-marathoner, Matt Scaletti. Here we go! Welcome back to the Living the Dream podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scaletti. You're not going to believe who is with me today. Sean Swarner is a philanthropist, author, and keynote speaker. He is a two-time terminal cancer survivor who has dedicated his life to helping others reach their full potential. Sean created The Cancer Climber with his brother in 2001, a nonprofit organization that pays for and travels with cancer survivors to climb Kilimanjaro. Sean's passion for climbing and adventure blossomed after becoming the first cancer survivor to summit Mount Everest. He is also the only person to complete the World Ironman Championship and the Explorer's Grand Slam, which entails climbing the summits across all seven continents and reaching both North and South Poles. From executives of Fortune 500 companies such as Unilever and IBM to students and the New York Giants, his leadership workshops, documentary called True North, The Sean Swarner Story, inspirational keynotes, and book series, Seven Summits to Success, have inspired and won the hearts of millions to redefine their own impossible. His story has been shared on the Steve Harvey Show, CBS Evening News, The Today Show, Good Morning America, and now Living the Dream podcast. Please welcome, I am beyond excited, welcome Sean. I appreciate it, Matt. It was kind of funny. You're like, the guy coming up or the, the, the guest I have coming up is unbelievable. And I was thinking, that's awesome. Who is this? <laughs> oh, it's you, my friend. And I can't even, that bio blows my mind and how humble and down to earth you are. I couldn't be more excited. So let's jump right in. I, I can't wait to hear the backstory. We've seen We've heard about all the successes. Let's go back and we'll get to those, but start with your childhood. What was it like growing up? Go for it. Oh, man, my, my childhood was just, just like anybody else's. You know, I, I grew up, well, I guess it was just like anybody else who grew up in Ohio. Um, <laughs> so, you know, my, my backyard was a bean field or a corn field, all depending on the season. Uh, I, I loved building forts. You know, I got into trouble. We, uh, we TP'd back before TP was, you know, it wasn't worth its weight in gold. Um, we uh, TP'd the, the coach's track house. Uh, we even forked his, his, his yard a couple times. But I was a normal kid growing up. You know, I, I was a swimmer. I played football, uh, basketball, cross-country track. I pole vaulted. I mean, you, you name it. If it was there, I, I tried it just because I wanted to go and do everything. You know, my, my parents encouraged me to be so active. Um, but every, everything changed when uh, I, I eventually got diagnosed at 13 uh, with advanced stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. And they, they, found, they found it because, uh, not because I had any night sweats, not because I was showing any symptoms or, or anything. I was actually playing basketball. I came down and my knee snapped. 
Oh. And oh, it was awful. You, you know how like when you're eating uh, Thanksgiving dinner and you're like chewing on the um, uh, the turkey to the turkey leg, and those tendons and, and everything are snapping. That's yeah. kind of what it sounded like when I landed. Oh, so I, I knew something was wrong. But because of, of the type of cancer I had, that injury triggered every joint in my body to swell up. You know, so like my knuckles were swollen, my wrists were swollen, my elbows, my face, everything was swollen. And uh, initially, the doctors sorry, there's something blowing my face. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the doctors thought I had uh, pneumonia, and it's it's incredibly difficult to cure cancer by sucking on a nebulizer. So <laughs> they took me from Willard, Ohio, to Columbus, Ohio, and that's when they diagnosed me with advanced stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. And they told my parents, "Hey, your firstborn your your firstborn son has three months to live." Oh my goodness! So so what happens after that? Well, I started chemotherapy and I went, uh, I gained probably 60, 70 pounds. Wow. And I think, and I, and I lost all the hair on my head too. Um, it was, it was different because I remember um, my friends, you know, they were so concerned about what was popular. They were, they were concerned about what was being, what was trendy. They wanted to be in the, the you know, the popular cliques, so the popular crowd, whatever. And they were, they were concerned about, the nicest hairstyles, the nicest clothes, the nicest shoes. And, yeah. and to me, I mean, I was, I was literally fighting for my life. So that just didn't mean anything to me. In fact, I remember one morning, and it's, it's still a difficult story to even think about, but I woke up in, 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 in bed one morning, and I was sitting on the edge of my, my bed, and I remember looking off to my left where my, where my pillow was. It, was. it was just, at that morning, it was just covered in hair. So I ran to the bathroom thinking, you know, I, I knew at one point it was going to fall out. So I went to the bathroom, I looked at it, you know, where's it coming out? Um, went to the shower, turned the shower on. And normally, you know, maybe not in your case, but normally when you, when you wash your head. <laughs> I see where that's going. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you bring your hand, I, I brought my hands down and, and they were just covered in hair. Oh, man. Right. And normally I could feel the water hitting my hair and then kind of soaking through to the scalp. But this time it was just hitting my scalp and I, I literally collapsed to the shower floor. I was on my hands and knees just weeping. Oh, man. And it, it, I, was, I remember I was, I was pulling chunks of hair out of the drain just so the water could go down. And I was in that moment, I was thinking about what my friends were doing while they were getting ready for school the same morning. And again, they were worried about, you know, how many pumps they were getting, they were going to get on the Reebok pump, you know, 67, <laughs> 68, whatever. And to me, that stuff, like I said, just didn't matter. But it was also in that same moment that I remember I, I decided that I had two choices. I could fight for my life or I could give up and die. You know, in the latter, just, it, it just wasn't an option. Yeah. So, so he gives you three months to live. Obviously, you've lasted many more months and years than that. When did you find out, well, maybe I can beat this thing? You know, when did you get a little bit of good news or did you not? I, I think it, it was gradual. Um, but also when I was, when I was going back to that shower story, that's, that's when I, I decided to have a different perspective, you know, and at 13, I, I wasn't, I decided I didn't want to focus on not dying. I wanted to focus on living mm. and in anybody in the world, it, it, as opposed to avoiding something, you know, you tell by being motivated by something negative or the avoidance of something. That's when I decided at 13, I was going to be positive. I wanted to go towards something. I wanted to be attracted to something, not the avoidance of something. And I think that's, that's something that really helped too. But, you know, but going, going back to your question about it, it wasn't, it was over time, you know, so that, that three months they gave me turned into, you know, six months, eight months, whatever. But I was 
in and out of the hospital for about a year and a half. And I was, like I said, I, I ballooned up. I was 60, 70 pounds overweight from the steroids, the prednisone. And it was just a horrible time. So you're fighting for a year and a half. You know, now you're 14 plus years old. And did you then, um, were you able to live a normal life or was this still, or you're battling well into your teens? It, I was in remission for, we'll just say roughly a year. And I was going in for a checkup for the first cancer when they found a second cancer. And this time, this time around, they diagnosed me with a type of cancer that affects three out of a million people with a prognosis of 6%. Oh my God. So if you have, um, if you have 100 people with this cancer, bearing in mind that three out of a million get it. If you have 100 people with this, with this can- type of cancer, 94 die. Oh, like I said, the prognosis was 6%. But if you add on the Hodgkin's that I had before, no one's ever had those two cancers. There are two primary cancers completely unrelated. And I, I did some number crunching and I found out that the chances of me surviving both of those cancers is roughly the same as, as winning the lottery four times in a row with the same numbers. Oh my God. <laughs> That's insane. So yeah, I'm very fortunate, very blessed to say the least. I mean, oh my, I can't believe how rare that is. And so what's, as you're, you know, you're living longer, you're going through, what's your mindset going, you know, going through all of this? And then you start to see, you start to recover a little bit. Could you, could you focus on positive things or or was it hard to not go back to focusing on not dying? Well, it was, it was tough the second time around because believe it or not, they told my parents again, hey, your, your firstborn son now has 14 days to live. Oh, my goodness. So I, I, rough, I had two weeks to live. <clears throat> and they actually put me in a medically induced coma in and out of the, for a year. I don't remember being 16 years old. Oh, my God. So, I mean, some people probably wish they could forget being 16, but I, I, I don't even have that opportunity. I don't have that choice. Wow. Okay, so you're you're in and out of a coma. You don't remember sixteen. Uh, at some point, you you know you turn the corner and you start achieving just unbelievable things. How long? What what was that process from this Sean to the first major achievement, Sean? I think the the first major achievement was probably a year after I was placed in remission. Um, I I was a, I loved running track. And I think I, I put in so much time and effort and I, I, I really love, I don't want to say I love pain, but I love pushing myself <laughs> to the limits. <laughs> I know what you mean. I like it. And I, I love when my lungs burn, you know, it, it sucks, but I love it. And I, I trained so hard for the next year. I actually came back a year after I was placed in remission with my one, I only have, also I have one functioning lung. I won my high school's league track meet in the 800 meter run. Oh my goodness. I said, that's almost impossible, right? I mean, you are proving the impossible. But it's again, you know, it, you know, let me, I'm going to actually grab my business card while you're sitting there talking. Cause it's, it's kind of funny. Cause on my business card, it says right there. It always seems impossible until it's done. Oh, I love that. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Your life is just, Perfect proof of that. But it's, it's so true. And I think it was Henry Ford who said, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. I love that quote. That's a good one right there. It, it's so true. And, and, and if, you know, if, if people are presented with an opportunity and they see it as an obstacle, obviously they're thinking they can't do it. 
Mm, that's a good point. It's all about perspective. Okay, Sean. So question for you along those lines. Clearly, it's a tough time. COVID is upon us. And do you have any advice for people that either have been diagnosed with cancer or some tough disease, or they're just having a tough time due to COVID or something else? Do you have any advice for those people? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I think the, the, the biggest thing to remember is that it's a temporary state, not a permanent condition. You know, you, you can endure so much more than you really think you can. And, and when I was going through my treatments, one of the things that I did was I, I focused, when I had a bad day, I focused on the future. You know, I visualized myself in the future accomplishing goals. And when I had good days, I focused on the present. So I, I kind of, I, I put myself in a, a situation where I wanted to focus on what was best for me. You know, so when I was sick and I was, I was throwing up for 36, hour, 36 hours nonstop, Oh you know, I would, I would focus on, hey, I know this is going to pass. And I would, I would visualize myself you know, finishing the track meet or something like that or swimming back and forth in the pool finally again. And then when I was actually having a good day, I focused on that. You know, I, I, I really truly focused on the present. So for anybody who's having a rough time, enjoy the good days. You know, I don't have to tell anybody, sometimes life sucks. Yeah. You know? But enjoy the days that you have the good moments the good times the friends the family whatever means most to you at your core you know and when you have bad days it's gonna pass you know think about something in the future that's pulling you you know something that you really really want that i just wrote this down good day focus on present bad day focus on the future that's i've never heard that anything like that before that's such a great idea and takeaway uh Okay, so we got to get into just some of the insane things that you've done. I'm excited to hear about them in as much detail as you want to give us. I was going to ask first about Mount Everest. If you want to start somewhere else, feel free. But Mount Everest story seems like a pretty darn good place to to talk to you about. Let's hear it. I'm so pumped. It it was really high, really cold and snowy. (laughs) Next subject. That's good. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) It, it was it was unbelievable. I mean, when I first started off, people thought it was physiologically impossible to climb Everest with half your lung capacity. You know, they they kept they kept saying Sean will never make it past Camp Two. I was the first person to sleep at Camp Three, and I was the third person to summit that whole season. You know, when when somebody tells me you can't do that, man, it's like adding fuel to the fire. You know, I, I want to prove them wrong. But the reason I did it, I think, is is the is what got me to the top. You know, and it really is, and it really was. Everything I do still, and, and what I did want on Everest was, it was to use it essentially as a platform to scream hope, to give, to give back to the cancer community. And, and because there's so many people who are touched by cancer, it's almost like a global epidemic now. You know, I, I, I use that as a platform to, to show them, hey, you know, you can do anything you put your mind to. So when, when we got there, I mean, it was, there was one moment when I was uh, coming down down the mountain on a, in a section called the Kumbu Icefall, which is like, if you can imagine Long Island or uh, Manhattan, right? Downtown New York City, put it on a 45 degree angle and have all those buildings tumble into each other. And, and have, it, yeah, that's what it was like. And then have it move down the mountain at four feet a day. So it's constantly shifting and constantly moving. You know, in the daytime, the sun comes up and melts the water. It melts the ice. The ice goes down or the water melts down underneath. And that's when the the ice becomes really slick. 
you know, in the, in the wintertime, Pennsylvania, um, you're a PA, right? Yeah, yeah, Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. that's what I thought. <laughs> so when, when there's water on ice, it's super slick. <laughs> but when it's, when it's just ice, it's not too bad. So during the daytime, the water melts down and it gets underneath these ice chunks. They're called seracs. And they start sliding around. And then at night, it refreezes again. So you try to get there, you try to get through it before the sun comes up. Okay. You know, and keep in mind that you're in a valley and you're going through here. So you have, I don't know, maybe five, six hours of daylight in that section. So coming down, it was actually jumbling up so much. We, we finally got off a ladder. Sometimes you put ladders up against them. And when we got down on the ladder, I could hear things creaking and grinding. It's almost like that, uh, like when you have a glass of ice and you pour some water in there, yeah. like that popping and snapping. Yep. Um, imagine that, but on a chunk of ice the size of a house, <laughs> right? So that's what we were standing on. And then we got, when we got off of that, the chunk of ice just it disappeared into a huge crevasse. Oh my goodness. So a, a lot of it is luck, you know, but it's, it's, it's also, you, you make your fortune as well. You know, you make your luck as well. So I, I take um, calculated, uh, calculated risks. <laughs> how, how long did the whole thing take to go up and down? I, I got to the mountain, the base camp, April 8th, and I summited May 16th. So a lot of people oh don't understand goodness. how long it takes to climb. I thought you were going to say like six days. No, like a, roughly a month and a half. <laughs> you were on the mountain for a month and a half. Camping, no showers for a month and a half, man. <laughs> that is Un did you know it was going to be a month and a half before oh, yeah. you, you knew all that? Yeah, because you have to acclimatize. You have to get your body used to the altitude. So what happens is, like, if, if we went from here, I live in Colorado, you live in Pennsylvania. If we just magically, poof, appeared on top of Everest, we would die within three or four minutes because of the, the little amount of oxygen that's on the summit. There's a third of the amount of oxygen on the summit as there is at uh, sea level. So because our bodies aren't used to that, what happens when you go to Everest or any really big mountain, you have to acclimatize. And what you do is you go up and then you come back down and then you rest at base camp. Then you go up to camp one, sleep up there, come back down. And it helps because not only are you getting your body adjusted to the altitude, you're also taking stuff up the mountain and dropping off, dropping off your full backpack. Then you go back to base camp, put, it, put more stuff in your backpack the next day and head up. So what happens when you go into altitude is your body starts manufacturing more red blood cells and more hemoglobin. Okay. So that way, because there's less oxygen, your body adapts to it by making more red blood cells so you can carry more oxygen. Okay. And the, cra the crazy thing is, when you're acclimatized to something that hot, like on, when I was flying home, I landed, uh, I had a night layover in Bangkok. And when I was laying in the, the hotel room, the hotel bed, just getting ready to go to sleep, I counted that my pulse rate was in the 30s and I think I was breathing three times a, a minute. Oh my goodness. Is that my body didn't need that much oxygen. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. That isn't, I mean, the body is an amazing beast, isn't it? Absolutely. When you, the whole time, so it's a month and a half, which still blows my mind. I didn't know it was that long. Were you confident start to finish? Did you ever have any thoughts of, oh my God, like, why am I even here? You know, what was the mindset? So before I left, my brother went with me. He was at base camp. Um, and then I had a cook at base camp, two Sherpas who were like local high altitude guides, amazing, amazing people. And then me. And when I was up at camp three, which is on the side of what's called the Lhotse ice face, 
it's a sheet of ice at a 45 degree angle that goes on for a mile, right? I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how big this place is. You, you can't even imagine what Everest is like until you've seen it. It's like watching a movie on like a, like on your, on your, um, on your phone and then watching a movie on IMAX. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. Um, but we were up there and, and when we left, my brother and I decided that the number one goal was to be on the mountain. Number two goal was to make it to the top. Well, I take that back. Number one goal is to stay alive. Number two goal <laughs> is to have fun. And then, you know, um, but when I was at that, at camp three on the low sea ice space, um, I actually started suffering what was called high altitude cerebral edema. So essentially altitude induced swelling in the brain. And I was on my way up to the summit. So my body had acclimatized. I, I was all ready. We established all four camps. We were going to go from camp three, sleep at camp three one night, and then move to camp four, rest there, and then go up the next, well, later that, later that day, because you climbed throughout the night. Okay. We got to camp three. Um, I woke up the next morning, and I, I vomited. Like, I just, I spewed out the dinner I had nine, you know, nine hours before. And I could still see the little, it was beef stew, so I could still see the little spiral noodles, the cubed carrots, the green peas. It hadn't been digested. So what that means is all the oxygen is receding from my appendages and surrounding my vital organs, like my liver, my heart, lungs, stuff like that. <clears throat> so I slept on oxygen at camp. I didn't move at all. And then I woke up, I think the next day, and we felt 100% fine. But it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because every any, any time that happens to somebody, you're supposed to go down on altitude. That's the only cure. Yeah. But it, it turned out, like I said, to be a blessing in disguise because every other group who was at camp three, when we were ready to go to camp four and then the next that night go up for the summit, they, they left, you know, they were on their schedules, other groups, everything else. They went to camp four. They started to go up for the summit. The weather turned bad. They had to turn around and that was the, that was it for them. You get one shot on Everest every year. Oh so it, it turned out to be a blessing in disguise. Yes, it did. Oh my, I cannot believe I just can't believe that all that this is all happening and you're still like, we're going, we're going. I mean, that's just, what's, can you, is it, is it possible to put into words the feeling, the moment you got to the very top? I don't know if I could put it into words, but I can describe it by saying, take every emotion you've ever had and put it into a tiny ball and just explode it all at once. Oh. You know, and, and I mean, it was just elation. It was sadness. It was, it was everything, you know, because I'd worked so hard to make that happen. Yeah. You know, but what the, the first thing I did when I got up there is I, 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 the whole time I was climbing, I had a flag that was about, I don't know, what is that, a foot by maybe a foot, square foot. And it had names of people touched by cancer on it. And I had that folded up in my chest pocket as, as a constant reminder of what I, why I was doing what I was doing. You know, it was, it was my motivation. Mm -hmm. So I, I actually wrapped that around the top of the world. And then immediately after that, because like I said before, I'm a, I'm a huge believer in the mind-body connection. I, I visualize myself on top many, 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 many times. What you, what, you, what you never see in films, what you never see in documentaries, what you never see in any adventure movie, how do you get back home? <laughs> so what I, what, I, what, I, what I forgot to do was visualize myself going down. So I get up to the top. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I was like, wait a minute. I have to get back down. <laughs> I forgot about that part. Oh, no. So what, what's the story going down? Is it, did you have a tough time? No, it was fine going down. But okay. more, more injuries and more deaths happened on the way down because 
that's what happens. Most people are so fixated on the top, you know, they expend all their energy, their lackadaisical coming down. And when you're going up a mountain, you have um, crampons, which are spikes that you attach to the bottom of your boots. Oh, yeah. And there are two of them that stick out from your toes. So if you're not careful as you're walking down, you could stick one of them into a, like your pant leg. Oh, yeah. And, and when you fall going up the mountain, you know, when you fall going up a slope, you fall into the mountain. When you fall going down a slope, you tumble miles. Yeah. Wow. Right? That's a great point with not even visualizing going back down. Yeah. I'm sure nobody does <laughs> that. You get to the top and that's it. You did it. Yeah, like, hey, this is awesome. We're here. Oh, now what? <laughs> what was was this whole experience? I mean, was it was it everything you thought it would be times a thousand? And, and can you give us a couple takeaways that probably stay with you for the rest of your life on what what you learned either about you or about um, doing the impossible or any any takeaways from Everest? I would say the biggest thing, because I also, after, like you mentioned before, you know, I've done the, uh, the Explorer's Grand Slam, which is the highest mountain on every continent, and the two poles. And I take a group up Kilimanjaro every year as a fundraiser for a cancer charity. And I, I can't tell you how many times people think, well, I'm going to conquer this mountain. So what I learned on Everest was you don't conquer the mountain, you conquer yourself. Oh, it's so good. It's, it's not you against the mountain, because if it's you, if it's you against the mountain, Mother Nature is going to kick your ass every single time, I promise. <laughs> so she allows you up, because it, a lot of it is weather. It's, it's weather-related. Summit, summit uh, percentages are weather-related. But it's not you against the mountain. It's you against yourself, and you find out a lot about what you can do, who you are, and what means most to you. You know, because mm -hmm. if, if, if you're being motivated by fame and fortune you're trying to motivate yourself by fame and fortune when all you want is recognition yeah by, by by family you know you're you're not going to make it you, know, you have to you have to stay true to who you are and motivate yourself with what works best for you so when you're climbing or when in, in life i suppose it's it's a huge it's a huge metaphor it's, it's a it, they have so many parallels you, know, you can really see what you value most and, and one of the things that my parents taught me too, and that really reflected on the mountain was I didn't have to be the best. I just had to be my best. Oh, that's so good. Oh, that's so good. What, I mean, you've accomplished, it's just, I didn't know where to start or where we go. Cause it's just, you've done so much. What, what drives you daily? I mean, is it, you talked about having the names of the, the cancer survivors and maybe some that we lost as well. Is that, is that solely what drives you? Is there something else that just makes you want to keep going more and more and harder and harder? You know, I honestly, I've, I've been doing a lot of thinking about that. And yes, it, it is. The number one motivator, motivating factor I have in my life is I love helping others. You know, one of the biggest achievements that, that I really enjoy, one of the biggest things I get out of taking people up, Kelly, I know we'll, we'll talk about it soon because I keep alluding to it, <laughs> is when we get to the top, people always come up in tears, you know, and they hug me and they're like, you know, thank you so much for getting me here. I take a step back and I say, I didn't do anything to get you here. And that's when the light bulb goes off, you know, and they understand, Hey, you know, I, I did it. I did it on my own. You know, I got myself here. So I think a lot of people don't understand that they have the power within themselves to accomplish anything. So my big, one of the biggest things is to encourage other people to push them, to help empower them to achieve amazing things. And then, like I said, recently I was thinking about it 
And yes, it is still the cancer survivors, cancer patients, people who passed away in, in hope. That's at the bottom of it. But I'm also wondering if I'm still trying to prove to myself I'm still alive. Oh, that's good. That's really good. You've been thinking, I can tell yeah. you, been, you've been thinking <laughs> a lot about that one. That's good. It's also awesome to think, and I, I want to ask you in a different way, but do you almost get more joy out of other people accomplishing something than you do from yourself? Let me, let me ask you this. Do you have any, you have any kids? Not yet, no. Okay. So are you at the age yet where you get more joy out of giving gifts than receiving gifts? 1,000% yes. There you go. That's perfect. You're, you're exactly <laughs> right. I can't even imagine. I mean, I'm, I'm giving somebody a $25 gift card. You're giving somebody the ability to get to the top of Kilimanjaro. That's, that's special, my friend. Yeah, but every, everybody has their own mountains, you know, and, and even, even if you help someone just on a, on a fraction of a scale, it still means something to that person. You know, and it's like that analogy of, of throwing a pebble into a pond. You know, the ripples just keep going out. You never know whose life you can truly affect by just even saying hello. <laughs> Small things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so we got to go there because, like you said, Kilimanjaro is on my mind now. And I get, you know, I, I, when I focus in on something, I just want to stay there. So you take it where you want. I know a little bit about it, but I want to hear all about Kilimanjaro and, and what you do and what you help others do. Well, first of all, you have to go next year. <laughs> <laughs> and I know we're recording right now because up in the Zoom corner, it says recording. So I want to hear you say that you're going to Kilimanjaro next year. I'm in, Sean. Right. Let's go. <laughs> and I also know that you can, you can click pause and rewind and edit and everything else. So you can there's a delete button on your computer. <laughs> You, you have my word, and now you know I said it. There you go. I'm in, podcast. I'm in. All right. There we go. You heard it. Um, it's a life-changing trip. That's, that's the best way to put it. Uh, we do a seven-day seven day hike, and anyone can do it. You know, I took my mom when she was 63. I've taken someone who was 13. I've taken someone who was 70. Wow. Okay. And anyone can do it. There's nothing tactical about it, but – the average success rate for the mountain on every group is 88%, okay? My groups are at 98%. Wait, what was the other groups? 48. Oh my so goodness. The, the, whole, the whole mountain, the percentage of successes is 48%, less than half. We're almost at 100%, we're at 98% because we do things differently. And I, I tell people again, you know, you don't conquer the mountain, you conquer yourself. And everybody has what I call their, their pardon my French, their oh shit moment, right? <laughs> Where they, they look at the mountain and that's what they're like. They're like, oh shit. <laughs> but it's, it's because they really haven't thought about it. And, and they get overwhelmed. And just like life, if you look at the giant picture, you start freaking out. But if you have a to-do list or something like that, and you start checking off one at a time, it's very doable. It's, it's like that old, uh, old saying, and I have no idea who would possibly even attempt to do this, but how do you eat an elephant? Right, one bite at a time. Because I don't know who came up with that analogy. It's a sick analogy, but it's. it's I get it though. It's. A, I, I understand what you're saying now. Yeah. So. So it's. Well, I, go ahead. I was going to say. So you take one trip every single year to Kilimanjaro. Every year, every year, and it's a fundraiser for a cancer charity, and the cancer charity pays for a survivor to go every year, 
And then it's that survivor's responsibility to pay it forward next to next year's survivor. So kind of keeping it in the, in the, the cancer family. Anybody can go, you know, but we always have a cancer survivor who goes. And next year, we, we, we were supposed to have three survivors this year. So we're going to have three next year and a hopefully four in 2021. And then maybe with those four, they can raise enough funds to take six in 2022. My goal is to take a group of 12 people every year, 12 survivors every year, totally free of charge. That is, that is so cool. That's such a great idea. And how big, so up to 12 survivors or maybe more, how big is the whole group? It's been anywhere between six and one year I had friend who was going over with a different group there were a bunch of kiwis a bunch of people from new zealand oh, yeah. and he ended up um he's fine now but he ended up getting a, a brain tumor so he couldn't take the group up and i jumped in i went over there once helped him out and we took 31 people up wow. and that's just i mean that's it's like hurting cats and it's like everybody just goes back and they kind of revert back to high school you know, they, they group with this team, these people, these people, these people like, come on, people mingle, you know, go get stuff <laughs> out of your comfort zone. Go talk to somebody else. <laughs> What's if somebody's listening to this and thinking, you know what, maybe I'll, I'll talk to Sean. Maybe I will do Kilimanjaro. What's how long does somebody need if, if they're not overly active now to get ready for a trip like that? Well, let's just say we're not leaving until June next year. Well, we're not doing another trip that people can join until June next year. So you have plenty of time. Mm -hmm. However, most people, do, they continue to wait. Oh, I'll do it. You know, I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll, I'll, I'll look into it later. I'll look into it later. And all of a sudden, now it's May. Like, oh, man, well, I'll do it in 2022. Put it on your calendar. You know, it's just like anybody who wants to run a marathon. You're not going to go out and just run 26.2 miles tomorrow. I mean, some, some people could. But for the most part, you pick a date and you work backwards and you start training that way. So most people can do it with, you know, three, six, eight months of training. I love that. So it, I was going to ask you advice and you kind of just said it. For somebody who's trying to get into healthier living and, you know, maybe is doing too many things at once, do you have advice for somebody that's trying to even, let's say, a couch to 5K thing? What's, what would you say to that person? Uh, so, so let's say you, you, we'll use that analogy or that, that, that person who's on the couch and they want to run a 5K. My first goal was to, to literally crawl eight feet from the hospital bed to the, to the toilet. That was my first goal. So if you can get off the couch and, and walk past the refrigerator or maybe somewhere else, you, know, you can do it. Start with, start with walking around the house, then walk around the block. And then the next day, walk, a little, walk around the block and then a little bit more. You know, it, it all starts with habits. You know, and, and look at it, why you're stuck on the couch or look at why you're stuck where you are in life. You know, when you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing most people do? Well, they go to the bathroom, but after that, I suppose, <laughs> they go to their office and they probably get on their phone and they go through social media. They look at the news, they read the news. You know, you're instantly within the first 15 minutes of waking up, starting your day on a negative note. I would bet you that's 90% of the world. I bet you're right. That was me for many, many years as well. So I, I, now I need to ask the follow-up question of, can you give us a little insight into your morning routine? What does Sean Swarner do to just crush it every day? I think the most important thing I do every time my alarm goes off, it's set for 4.30, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right? <laughs> Love it. 
4.30, my alarm goes off. I never, I used to do this all the time. I never hit snooze. Because what you're doing is when you hit snooze, you're psychologically or you're subconsciously telling yourself, you know what? There's nothing that's, that's super exciting for me to get to. My day can wait. But if you turn off the snooze and you get out of bed, you're like, look, man, I'm excited for the day. Bring it on. So I think that's, that's the very first thing that you have to switch. You just flip that switch. Try it for two weeks, three weeks, whatever. It becomes a habit. And then when the alarm goes off, you're like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> I love it. 4.30 <laughs> in the morning. I, this is just, what's, can I ask what from 4.45 a.m. to 6 a.m.? Is there, are you, is that where you get your workouts or you reading? What, what are you, what are you doing? So I don't know if I may have mentioned that earlier. I, I, uh, my wife's from Puerto Rico oh, yeah. and uh, we just got married in uh, February, November. God, I better know this. We got married <laughs> February of uh, last year. Oh, congrats. I didn't know Thank that. you. Oh, Thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, every morning when, I, when I'm in my office, I'm on my phone with Rosetta Stone studying more Spanish. Oh, wow. So I, I, can, I can, you know, communicate with her family. They all speak English, but her mom refuses to speak English to me to force me to speak Spanish. <laughs> I mean, it helps. It helps. But wake up, no snooze, bounce out of bed. Um, and don't get me wrong. It's not every day I bounce out of bed. Some days I'm like, oh, God, I feel like I just got kicked in the face by Bruce Lee. Um, <laughs> I, I do the Spanish lessons, and then I'll go downstairs and the first thing that I put in my body is I take maybe a, maybe a tablespoon and a half, two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar, mm. mix that with, with mother. Apparently that does something even better. Mix it with water, chug that down. So that does some amazing things for the body. Then I go upstairs and I work on some videos or I catch up on some emails. Then I wake up my wife, her name is Julissa. And then recently we go and uh, there's maybe eight minutes from my house. There's a set of stairs, that's 200 steps, just straight up and down basically. And I'll grab a heavy backpack and I'll just go up and down with that because I'm in training for Kilimanjaro right now. We'll come <laughs> home. We'll do yoga. And that's all before 730. Oh. Okay. So 730, we're done with yoga. And then at 745 to maybe 830, we'll do breakfast. And then I'll start work. And then I'll do another workout. And then I'll do something else. So I, every day I have something different going on. Just so everybody knows, the man told me before we went recorded here that he does four workouts a day leading up to this trip that we'll talk about in a second. You're just, you're a dynamo. I mean, you are an unstoppable force, and I love that. When, I, I got to ask you this. So you're, you, know, you went through clearly tough times at a young age. You, you're overcoming that. You're doing Everest, and you're summiting all these different mountains. When did you have an idea of, oh, wow, like, Maybe this is something I could, I could inspire others to do. What, when did that kind of click? Because now you're speaking all over the world. You're, you're clearly on every different show possible. It's amazing. What, was there a moment where you thought, hmm, maybe I need to tell my story? I think when I was, when I was living in Jacksonville, Florida, working for my master's and my doctorate, and that's when my brother and I came up with the idea of climbing Everest. So we kind of planned it out. Like, look, let's, let's just literally use the highest platform in the world to give people hope. And then I, I had this idea of, you know, sharing my story and, and helping others and encouraging them and empowering them. I had no idea it was going to turn out like this. And I'm glad it, it, it did. You know, but initially it was to use Everest as a springboard to really help other people. 
I love it. And I, I love that you didn't think to go climb some little mountain. You guys chose Everest. You chose the most difficult one, just like you. I love it. Uh, so I love you've just done so much. And I know that there has to be something out there in the future. There's a what's next for Sean. I can just sense it. I, I may have done a little research and looked up um, something about Africa and something about a summit challenge, if I read that right. Is there, can you give us some, give us some uh, insight on what's happening in the future? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, July 26th, I'm leaving for the annual trip up Kilimanjaro. And I know a lot of people are thinking, oh my God, is it going to be safe? Even my parents were saying, is it going to be safe? You know, it's, I don't know, you know, but I, I do know that we do this every year and I don't want to find out what happens to a guy with one lung if he gets COVID. So we're taking as, as many precautions as possible. Um, I have a handful of, believe it or not, when, years ago, I, I bought them for like work around the house with sawdust and everything else. Um, some N95 masks. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to be all right. Take every precaution possible. Uh, but we're going to go up and down again. I'm going to take them on a seven-day hike, get off the mountain, and then take them on a safari. So we do a four-day safari afterwards. Then on our way back from the safari, I'm going to pick up another group. We're going to rest a couple of days, and I'm going to go back up the mountain again oh and then come back down. That's why I'm training four, to four times a day because I'm doing Kilimanjaro, the highest mountain in Africa, two times in a row. And then we're going to go back on the safari. Then I'm, then I'm going to be flying home. Well, you're not going to go up a third time? What's the deal? Uh, I think that, that, that's good, man. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you're gone for three, four weeks, three weeks, four weeks? Yeah. Yeah. July 26th to August 26th or 27th. Yeah. So that's, that is the yearly trip that I'll be with you on next year. Yep, exactly. <laughs> now, what's, what's the summit challenge? The, the summit challenge is how do I put this succinctly? Um, <laughs> it's a series of seven challenges to help people tap into their core values to help them become unstoppable. I love that. So any, you mean like anybody can do this with you? Anyone, anyone. It's an online challenge, you know, and, and I, I thought about it for a long time and I was thinking maybe we could do a program, online program, but like there's so many programs out there and we talked about this before and they're, and they're, they're overwhelming, you know, because you get a workbook that's four inches thick. It's 300 and some pages long. You know, you have 9,000 things to do every day. You throw it out the window because you get frustrated and you quit it, you know, but this is basically helping people develop micro changes, you know, and it essentially habits, you know, just change one thing for three weeks or do, do one or two things for three weeks, make it a habit then continue doing that habit into the second challenge. And it's all based on personal core values. So if you're trying to motivate yourself with something that you're, you're really not motivated by, you're going to quit. You know, a perfect example is um, New Year's Day. People make resolutions, right? Mm -hmm. Millions of people join a gym. And they go for, what, two weeks, three weeks? And then you now have, what, 100,000 people who, who are still going? <laughs> Right. But it's, I think it's because of, of their perspective. A lot of people go and they work out because they hate their bodies. Mm -hmm. That's not how you look at it. You don't work out because you hate your body. You work out because you love your body. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't do things because you hate it. You do it because you love it. If you just change your perspective a little bit, it changes your entire world. So if you understand what motivates you at the core, you can change your entire life's perspective and you can stay intrinsically motivated. 
So if you motivate yourself with, you know, say a Starbucks card, uh, $500 Starbucks cards, that's going to work for sh the short term. What lasts forever is an internal motivation, that intrinsic motivation. And with this challenge, you learn what that is and you start developing conscious habits that help you get what you want, not avoid what you don't want. Oh, that's so good. So how long, there, there's seven different sections, how long is this challenge, this summit challenge? So seven challenges, three weeks per challenge, because they, whoever they are, you know, the infamous they, they say it takes three weeks to develop a habit. So we just threw that out there as three weeks. And then each week you have like little, a micro challenge per week. And the, the first one is basically waking up and, and, and starting off your day on something po on a positive note and then ending your day on a positive note. So everybody gets a journal. Everybody gets to what I have is a, it's called a core values assessment. So you can go through 60 different core values and, and pick out 10 that mean the most to you. And then you rate those. And now you have a, a, a tangible list of your top 10 personal core values. So based on that, now you can start making conscious decisions on what you really want, not what somebody else wants for you. You know, you don't go after what your wife wants for you. You don't go after what your kids want for well, your kids, maybe depending on <laughs> if that's one of your personal core values as family. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, but the bottom line is you have to go after what you want and be motivated by what works best for you. I love that. So everybody's challenges are going to be going off in all kinds of different directions, whatever they're about. Exactly, exactly. So it's, it's a, and I mean this in the best way possible, it's a generic enough program, but it's so specific to what you personally want, you know, and it, and it helps people. It, it kind of goes along the analogy of, you know, you, you, you give a man a fish, you, you feed him for a day, you teach him to fish, hmm. you, you feed him for a lifetime. That's what this does. You know, it doesn't just show you how to do it. It teaches you how. Oh, that's so good. So where, like, if I want to go or anyone wants to sign up for the challenge, where do they, how, how much time do we have? When's it start and where do they go? Um, I believe it, when this airs, it should be, it should be going. should oh, be good. going on. Yeah, just go to seanswarner.com. Sean, like Sean Connery, S-E-A-N, <laughs> the proper way. My grandpa came from Ireland or Scotland. So, and then Swarner, just like the Warner Brothers, but slap an S on the front. So seanswarner.com. <laughs> I love how you said that. seanswarner.com for the challenge. So it's three weeks per challenge, seven challenges, 21 weeks. And I would imagine if you do the whole thing, you're going to come out a completely different person a few months down the road. Absolutely. It, it will change your life. Oh, that's so cool. Well, we'll, we'll link that in the show notes so everybody can see as well where they need to go to check that out because that's awesome. Uh, you're just doing so many amazing things. Uh, it's almost like nothing surprises me anymore with you. It's like, oh, Sean's going to, you know, he's going to run across the United States. Oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds good. All right, well, maybe next time I'm in, I'm in the Pittsburgh area, you're right here, we'll have a couple of beers. There'll be some surprises there. <laughs> <laughs> if you're ever in the Berg, you better let me know, Sean. We'll get a good workout in, my friend. Uh, all right, we're going to wrap up. There's called the Power Five, just rapid fire, quick questions. If you can get them inside of like a sentence or two, I know it can be tough sometimes, these questions, but let's I'm go scared. for it. How do you want to be remembered? As the guy next door, the friendly, empowering, fun, generous, genuine person. I like how you, it's like you hammered home the genuine. You, that's awesome. I was like, genuine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can speak to, we got a chance to talk before we got, went on camera, and you are the exact same person 
all the time. My wife knows you, you're the same person. So I think this is one person's opinion, but you got the genuine part. You got it knocked out of the park. What are you, of all the things you've done, what are you most thankful for in this world? Wow. My, you know how fast your brain works, like a million, t- million things a second. I was thinking, well, my, my health, my family, my friends, my life, you know, it's, I'm, and I think in, in all of that will be wrapped up into one word, just life. I love that. I, I, well, I mean, especially from what you went through at a young age. I mean, I'm sure I can't even imagine that. Okay. If I see Sean Swarner at a wedding reception in the future and he's on the dance floor, what is his go-to dance move? Oh, well, it depends if my wife is there. Cause like I said, she's Puerto Rican. <laughs> oh yeah. She, she, yeah. She's teaching me all sorts of different things. I don't know what they're called, but it's one of those things. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> you, you do you practice together. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. Well, it, I mean, we, you, I, I have to, because I'm, I'm pretty sure like in, in the Latin American cultures, you know, they don't induce labor. Right, they play salsa music, and dun da, out comes the baby. Like it's in their genes, man. I don't get it. They, they, at, at a such a young age, they know how to dance, and they, they know how to keep a beat and everything. Me, I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> We're all works in progress, right? <laughs> right. All right, we got two more. I, this is almost a silly question to ask you, but I'm going to ask anyways. What's the biggest obstacle you overcame? That cancer. I mean, yeah, I was going to say it's. Which one do you pick? But you overcame all yeah. of them. But I think that's why you're just such an inspiration. Okay, last one. Who is your hero? Ooh. Is, is, is the, the, I was going to say, is the proper answer Matt Scaletti? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. No. <laughs> you have to be genuine. Remember the genuine. Okay, all right, all right. Um, <laughs> I, I would say... My brother is in there because he helped me through so much. My mom, my dad, but it, it really boils down to anybody who's gone through a rough time, you know, and they pull out on the other end with a positive attitude, not people who've gone through a rough time and come out on the other side thinking the world owes them something, mm-hmm. but people who've gone through something tough and difficult and come out on the other side, a different, more positive person. Oh, that's such a good answer. That is so good. Okay. Last thing is, if people are listening to this, we know the website to go to, seanswarner.com. Are you active on social media? Can people follow you there? Yeah, it's the same thing, Sean Swarner. Sean Swarner, Instagram, good place. Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, uh, Facebook, Twitter. It's all the same. By the way, definitely YouTube. This guy, you'll be on there for just like two hours, just zoned in, and then you want to go run, uh, uh, run up a mountain. It's amazing. Check him out. You have great videos. I mean, you do a great job. I'm sure you have a, a team behind you that does great. Those videos are inspiring and just beautiful. I love it. Well, thank you, my friend. That's it. I appreciate your time. I can't thank you enough. Keep inspiring me and my wife and all the people that are going to listen or watch this. I appreciate your time. Uh, thank you, man. Really grateful for, for the opportunity. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to another episode of Living the Dream with Matt Scaletti. I'm so grateful for you. Please share this podcast on your social media so others can benefit from this valuable content. Also, please subscribe to my podcast because if you aren't, 
I am watching you. <laughs> Check me out on social media and message me if you need me as your keynote speaker. At Matt Scaletti on social media. I respond to all messages. Thanks and I love you so much. Oh, 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 oh,